Father, that's why we celebrate this season, because you did not leave us in the condition that we were, but you came to be born, to become like us, to be God with us, so that you could deliver us from sin and from shame, and from the utter ruin that our sin brings. And help us this season of Advent to be ever mindful of this reality, and that we would not get so caught up in the trappings of this holiday that our culture puts upon us that we forget that it's all about you, that you're the reason for the season. And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. What is, uh, what's the motto of the army? Is it the proud, the few, the faithful, something like that? Here you guys are. Is that it? The few, the proud, the, the marines. The few, the proud, the marines. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Simpr simplify, simplify. Sorry about that. Do what? <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. That was a, uh, okay. Anybody in here was part of the marines? Any marines in here? No, we would. Where's our army guys here? Richard, thank you for your service, sir. Um, yeah, a couple of things. Um, you know, when I did the idolatry series, um, one of the things I talked about was how God will thwart us at the point of our idolatry. And um, so he's really doing that a lot in my life. If, if you guys are aware very much today about, the, about what's going on with the NFL, the Broncos are in uh, Kansas City and their starting quarterback is from Missouri. Um, so if you're a KU fan, God is really thwarting me at my, my level. But it's not just me. I mean, even you guys are like, okay, who do we root for? Do we root for our Missouri guy or the... Gee, I don't know. Have you guys decided on that yet? <laughs> the Chiefs, Okay. All right, uh, you're not the service I'm worried about. It's the next service that has the Chiefs game coming. Um, so we're doing, yeah, by the way, thanks to the guys who came out early and helped shovel. Jason was out there, uh, got to shovel twice. Yeah, got to shovel twice because I, that's how it was at our house. We shoveled this morning and I got here and then Pat texted and it looked like nothing had happened and that's what was going on outside with us this morning. Sam was here. Thank you, Sam. Sam was even shoveling the parking lot. Um, I know Ben and Noah were here, and if I missed somebody who I didn't see who was in the back or something, but just appreciate you guys coming out and doing that. So we're doing the series, uh, The Nine Words of Christmas. Um, I just want to encourage you. I am going to do a quick summary of this on Christmas Eve. And this is a really good chance, because that's, that's a time when people are, have family in, and they're bringing family here. So if you have any family, if you have any friends, if you have anybody that, because, you know, people are likely, more likely to show up, like, for a Christmas thing, right? That's twice a year that if you show up, you get the check marks with God or whatever. Um, it's a really good opportunity for them to hear the good news of Jesus, so I really want to challenge you to, uh, to still be thinking, do you have a friend, do you have somebody who you know that has some interest that could be here that night, and they would get to hear the nine words. So um, even as I, I was going to tell you, this is a good crowd to probably to do this with, but I really want to challenge all of you, because I think we all need to hear this message, right? 
we all need to be reminded of the good news. It's, it's kind of ABCs, I know that, but it's still the basis of everything that we are. And so, um, but also, I, I really want to challenge you because it's, I always have intentionality in everything I do that this, if, if you'll just, I just encourage you to listen because, not just listen, take mental notes because this really is the way I tend to approach people with the gospel. And I, this is not just for people, even if there's somebody here who's seeking that I think this is what the core of the Bible is about, but it's a way for you to think about how you can approach people um, with this. So even like what I did last week with sin, I do that all the time with people because I was just talking this week with somebody who had a conversation with somebody else about sin, who's not a believer, and... Um, do you realize that most people who don't, I mean, like me, I grew up thinking sin was primarily rule-breaking, and that's really how most people view it primarily, and they view it primarily as, yeah, you do these sins, and these sins are what send you to hell, and really, it's what sends me to hell is, is that I reject God, and I live my life pursuing other things, and it's all relational, and if you just talk about people, if you just talk about sin with people, their definition of it isn't the same as I think is the way the Bible primarily views it, and you can automatically be missing people on communication, so that's why I will even sit down with that box thing I did last week, and I'll draw out the, the four components, and I'll talk through that, but then I'll say, but the main, the worst sin is, it's this one down in this quadrant down here, the, the things we don't do that we should um, which is love God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. And then I talk to people about the relationship. And because if you are coming at people and you're standing on totally different, have you guys heard of the image of like a whale fighting an elephant where the whale's in the ocean and the elephant's on the beach and they're really not engaging each other? That I have found that over the years, that you can really not engage somebody you're talking to if you don't clarify definitions of some really basic terms. And to me, sin is one of them. And so, just a lot of this actually is to even give you some tools so you can know how to, to, to deal with people. So, that's part of my, my purpose. So, we're doing the nine words of Christmas, um, and I just want to reemphasize that the thing I found in my own journey is that the Bible and Jesus are not about religion, but is about what? Relationship, an intimate father-child relationship with the God of the universe, just that by itself can blow your mind. And so I said last week that anytime we talk about God, we have to think relationally. The way we think about it has to be relationally. So we were created for a real and intimate relationship with God. He passionately loves me, and He seeks my love in return. That, that is the primary, among other things I was created for, the primary thing I was created for was to live in intimate relationship with Him. And so out of that first sermon, we came out with the first three words of Christmas, and do you guys remember what they are? See if you can say it without, I'll come stand in front of this. First three words of Christmas are what? God for us. And we talked about how God has created all of us, that He loves us before we were even born, and that, I, that the baseline is, is God is for you. He wants you to flourish. He longs to know you. He longs for you to walk with Him. And so last week we talked about sin, because there's bad news in every good story. And we talked about relationally, how that, that relationship's broken. So let me do a quick review. There's the God for us. We've rejected God and have lived life for ourselves. Lived life for ourselves. I've become king over me, pursuing other things instead of pursuing God. 
and our sins dishonored God and has broken the relationship we were created for. And ironically, this pursuit of other things has only led down the path towards brokenness and ultimate ruin, and we've, we've talked about that. That we're broken by our sin, our sin brings death and slavery and ruin into our lives. And since the Bible primarily talks about sin relationally, we did talk about Hosea and Gomer last week, and how Hosea, he had married Gomer, and how she had left him, abandoned him, um, and committed adultery, which is... the the ultimate form of betrayal, and how because of that, they had become alienated. It created alienation, the separation between them. And our sin has done the same. Isaiah 59, 2 says, it is your sin that has separated you from God. It has alienated us from our relationship with God. That that had created a relational gap between them, and that we have a relational gap with God. And if you remember, it's insurmountable. I compared it to the Grand Canyon that if you were trying to close that gap by yourself to jump over that, it's, it's humanly impossible. And that's why Romans 4, 5 says, people cannot do any work which will make them right for God. That gap's insurmountable. I can't, I can't fix that. So the thing that Gomer needed was, if you remember, when you have alienation, you need reconciliation. And that only comes through what? I mean, it's up there. But just for review, through forgiveness. Who's the only person that can extend the forgiveness? Yeah, it's the person, the person who is abandoned. Whenever you have somebody, when, when somebody wrongs somebody massively, and it's not a two-way street, but somebody just does something wrong, the only person that can restore the relationship is the person wronged, right? So that, that had to come from Hosea to her. That was the only direction that could come. And so our need also is reconciliation through what? Reconciliation only comes through forgiveness. And that has to come from where? That has to come from God. It's the only way that can come. And if you remember, she had become a prostitute and a slave, and she needed not only reconciliation, but she needed rescue. And that was going to require that Hosea pay a ransom price for her to redeem her. To redeem is to pay a ransom to get a slave back. It was going to... And again, that had to come from him to her. She couldn't take care of that by herself. And to do all that meant there was a price to pay. Somebody had to make a sacrifice. Somebody had to become a substitute for her. Somebody had to take her place to pay that price. And that was Hosea. And it's the same with us and God. We need rescue. We're slaves to sin. We're needing somebody to come set us free. There needs to be a ransom for us. We need to be redeemed from our slavery to sin. That price has to be paid. And guess who's the only one that can pay that? I can't pay that. When you're a slave, you can't set yourself free. And so a price has to be paid. There has to be a sacrifice and a substitute for me. So we need reconciliation and we need rescue. Reconciliation through what? Again, forgiveness. Forgive me, but it's really important. And that can only come from the direction of the one wronged and rescue. And rescue, when somebody's a slave... It requires redemption through ransom, which means there's a sacrifice and a substitute, a price to pay for all of that. Probably most of you know, but do you guys know what happened with the, the, the story with Jose and Gomer? Do you know what he did? In case you're here and you don't know, what did he do? Did he forgive her? Did he pay the redemption price? Did he pay the ransom to get her back from her slavery and to win her back and to woo her back into relationship with himself. 
we're told that he actually did. Uh, I want you to know that took me eight hours to do, so. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Um, but here's the question, who's going to rescue me? If he reconciled to her, if he forgave her, if he paid the price for her, who will do that for me? And so that's what the next three words of Christmas are about. I love Isaiah 59, 15 to 16, where it says, the Lord looked and could not find any justice. He couldn't believe what he saw. There was no one around to correct this awful situation. He could not find anyone to help the people. So he did it himself. He did it himself. He took on the work of salvation. Isn't that powerful? He did it. Why did God have to be the one? Why God? Why couldn't he have sacrificed somebody else? Why couldn't it have been like somebody else? Why did it have to be him? Because when it comes to issues of deep love, you don't send someone for you, right? You go yourself. When I was wooing Pat, and the day came for me to make the call to invite her out on a date, I didn't have one of my buddies make the call for me, right? Because when it comes to issues of deep love, you don't ever send somebody for you, but you go yourself. And that's what I did. I made the call. I didn't send one of my buddies to do the first date with her, to tell her how good I was, right? Wouldn't that be crazy? I went myself, because in issues of love, you go yourself. And that's what God did. So despite our rejection of Him, God has not abandoned us. Rather, He went on a search and rescue mission. Yeah, you guys all know what a search and rescue mission is, right? Nick and I were just talking about Colorado this morning. If you're out in Colorado, anytime somebody gets lost, I mean, when you get lost in the mountains, you're lost. It's not like if you get lost in the Flint Hills. I mean, you're kind of lost, but <laughs> it's flat, right? You can see things far on the distance. When you get lost in the mountains, you so easily can lose your sense of direction. And whenever you get lost there, you need help. And so they send out whole search and rescue crews because the need of a person who's lost is they have to be searched for and they have to be rescued. So God went on a search and rescue mission. And he did this through Jesus. I love this. Whose name means God to the rescue. God to the rescue. So I want to talk about Jesus. God to the rescue. Can I do that? So I want to talk first about the, that God part. That God part. To make the case briefly that he was just not an ordinary human or a great teacher or a prophet sent by God, but that he was actually God himself. In Matthew 1, to 23, in one of the Christmas stories, the angel said to Mary, all this happened to make clear the mean, full meaning of what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 7, 14. The virgin will be pregnant. She will have a son. They will name him Emmanuel. This name means, what's it mean? God with us. God with us. Another story from the Christmas stories. That night, some shepherds were in the fields nearby watching their sheep. An angel of the Lord stood before them, and he spoke. 
So when I, I put the Lord in red, when it says that an angel of the Lord stood before them and spoke, who's that talking about when it says the Lord? Could you tell me who that's referring to? Who's that referring to? Jesus or who else? If I said an angel, well, okay, I just heard it. What was that? God, right? If I say, hey, an angel of the Lord came to my house, probably when I say the Lord, most people when they hear that, what are they thinking? They're thinking God, right? Um, you guys are probably in the know with this, but I'm going to go ahead and do this if you don't mind. So in the, in the Hebrew Bible, um, God's name, God gave us His name in Exodus chapter 3 where He said that His name was I Am which is Yahweh is his name. And anytime you're reading through the Old Testament and you encounter the word Yahweh, I know in the NIV it's always all capital, L-O-R-D, all capital letters, and that tells you that it's the word Yahweh, it's his name, I am. If you see in the NIV when it says the Lord and it's capital L but lowercase O-R-D, it's the, the Hebrew word, um, and I just forgot it, Brent, uh, Adonai, right, Brent was going to be my go-to guy. Adonai is the Hebrew word for Lord. So if you want to say Lord, just Lord, like He's the Lord, then Adonai is the word you use. But if you want to talk about God's name, you t they would call Him Yahweh, or I Am is what we would call Him. And, but the Hebrew people respected God so much they would never say His name. Just like my father when he was living. I would never call up my dad, and when he'd answer the phone, I'd never say, Hey, Jim, how's it going? Right? Does anybody do that? I mean, when you call your dad, you call your dad, Dad. It's out of a sign of respect. And in the same way, um, I mean, if you saw Donald Trump, you wouldn't say, hey, Donald, the Donald, you'd call him Mr. President, out of respect. And it was the same way in their culture. So anytime they were reading in the Old Testament text, if they came ever upon the word Yahweh, they would never say his name, but they would read it out loud, they would say Adonai. Even though it said Yahweh in the print, they would say Adonai. And it got to where they would actually, under the... It, it, Hebrew is just generally, it's four letters put together, four consonants, and vowels are underneath. But they got to where they would put, um, even under Yahweh, they would put the vowel points for, for Adonai, which is, okay, that's not that important. But basically, the important thing is this, is that anytime they saw the name of God, they would always say, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Instead of saying Yahweh, you would say the Lord. And so here we're told that that night some shepherds were in the fields nearby watching their sheep and an angel of the Lord stood before them and spoke to them. And so in that Jewish context, when they, when, if somebody said that, hey, an angel of the Lord came, guess who they were talking about? Yahweh, the creator, Yahweh being his name. So an angel of the Lord stood before them and spoke to them. That's their way of referring to God. Don't be afraid because I'm bringing you some good news. This is their message. It will be a joy to all people. Today, your Savior was born in David's town. This is so profound. He is the Messiah. He is who? Yahweh. He's the Lord. He is Adonai. He is the I Am. They were expecting Messiah. They were waiting for Messiah to come. And when the angels show up and say, today in the town of David, your Savior, He has finally come, what they would have expected is, He's the Messiah, the Messiah is there. But they said, not only He is the Messiah, but He's also what? He's the Lord, He's Yahweh. 
That's why in John 10, 30 to 33, when Jesus was talking one time, He said, the Father and I are one. And at this, the people began to pick up stones to kill Jesus. I've done many good works from the Father. Which of these good works are you killing me for? And the people said, we're not killing you because of any good work which you did, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, you claim to be what? God. You claim to be God. And there's so many ways I could show you this, the ways that he claims this, um, explicit and also a lot of very implicit ways. But this is the claim of the Scripture, is that Jesus is not just a prophet or a teacher, but He is actually God who's come to the rescue. Let me hit briefly, if you don't mind, the word Son of God or that phrase, because I find I misunderstood it. I find that a lot of people misunderstand it. Um, Even if you deal with Muslims, Muslims totally misunderstand this phrase, the Son of God. Um, the Son of God, that phrase actually has a lot of meanings. It's like a diamond with a lot of facets to it. But it does have a very unique meaning that I find very interesting. Um, so to the Jewish people, that phrase, son of, what did that mean? In fact, I just encountered this in reading, um, I think in Ezekiel just this week. I encountered another instance of this. But in the Jewish culture, that was an idiom that meant the embodiment of. To say the son of something meant the embodiment of. So in Acts 4.36, Barnabas is called literally the son of encouragement. It meant that he was the embodiment of encouragement. It didn't mean that his father, literally, his dad was encouragement, right? It doesn't mean that at all. It just meant that Joseph Barnabas, Joseph was his kind of his name, but Barnabas his nickname, that he was the son of encouragement, that in his life you saw the embodiment of what an encourager looked like. We have kind of a modern English equivalent where we say if you looked up blank in the dictionary, you would see a picture of, and you talk about a person that's the clear embodiment of that quality, right? So we could easily say this. If you looked up kind in the dictionary, you would see a picture of Charlie Hoy right there, right next, except I have, yeah, I have the word friendly, like a friend, kind, helpful. I actually have the wrong definition, but that's okay. Because to me, Charlie is the embodiment of kind. Charlie is the son of of kindness. And if you looked up God in the dictionary, you would see a picture of Jesus because he is the embodiment of God. He is literally God in human flesh. And that's what son of means. I've talked with, interestingly, a lot of Muslims over the years about this, and because they're taught wrongly of what it means, um, it's interesting they have this same equivalent, this same idiom in Arabic. They talk about if somebody is a better one, they're called son of the desert. Um, and so it's interesting even to talk to a Muslim and when you talk about this idiom, how their eyes light up and they realize that their understanding of son of God language has been wrong all along and that it actually means to be the embodiment of something. So that's, what, that's one of the, the key meanings of son of God. Colossians 2.9 says, In Jesus all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. Hebrews 1.3, He is the exact, the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being. And I love 2 Corinthians 2, 4 to 6. 4, 6. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God is found in the face of Jesus. And as I've told you, you can always put the word beauty in place of the word glory. The light of the knowledge of the beauty of God is found in the face of Jesus. If you want to find the beauty of God, if you want to see God to be beautiful, look at the embodiment of God. In Jesus, God, Emmanuel, who is God with us.
And you see the beauty in that everywhere he went, everywhere he went, he spread love, life, and liberation. And everywhere he went, he trampled death and darkness under his feet. And you can't read his story, you can't read his teachings without, I think, finding him beautiful and seeing the beauty of God. So, Jesus, what's Jesus mean? The name means what? God to the rescue. So we talked about God, now I want to talk about the part to the rescue. How does Jesus go about rescuing us from our sin and reconciling us to himself? How does he go about that? We're rescued from our sin and brought back into relationship with God through Jesus' death and resurrection from the dead. We need rescue. Matthew 1.21, the angel said, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will what? He will save, he will rescue people from their sins. 1 Timothy 1.15, Jesus came into the world to what? To save, to rescue sinners. Luke 19.10, Jesus says, I came to seek and to what? To save the lost, to rescue. That was his whole mission, was to rescue. But he didn't just come to rescue, he came to redeem, to pay the price to rescue, to bring somebody out of slavery. Colossians 1.14, in Jesus, we have, do you mind? We have what? Redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And he came not only to pay the redemption price, but that ransom price that redemption requires. And in Mark 10.45, where he says, I, or the Son of Man, I did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give my life as a ransom for many. So he came to pay that ransom price. And reconciliation only happens through, I know it's redundant, but it only happens through what? Through forgiveness. And the forgiveness has to come from the side of the one wronged. So in Ephesians 1, 7 to 8, by the death of Jesus, we have the forgiveness of sins. 1 Thessalonians 5, 10, Jesus died so that we can live together with him. His whole purpose in forgiving us was reconciliation. So he died so we can live together with him. You remember, a rescue and reconciliation require a price to pay, a sacrifice. So Hebrews 9, 27 to 28, everyone must die once and after that be judged by God. In the same manner, Jesus was offered in sacrifice once to take away the sins of many. It requires a substitute. Somebody who will take the price of death which is the penalty of sin upon themselves. And Isaiah 53 says that he was wounded for the wrong things I did. For the wrong things you did. He was crushed. Crushed for the evil things I did. That you did. That we did. The punishment which made me well was given to him. And I was healed and am healed, and you are healed by his wounds. He takes, he took my death and my ruin upon himself. And through his sacrifice, he opened the path home for me. 
so we're rescued from our sin. Brought back in a relationship with God through Jesus' death and His resurrection from the dead. That's why, again, Daniel 9.18 says, God, I do not come to you because I'm righteous, but I come to you because of your great mercy. It's only through His mercy. God takes the initiative in His story, not me. He takes the initiative. He seeks and He saves. It's not me getting to know God. It's not, not us getting to know God, but it's God coming to us. It's not us building a bridge to Him, but it's Him building a bridge to us. And if you remember, good people don't go to heaven. Only what kind of people go to heaven? Forgiven people. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And in John 10, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can ever snatch them out of my hand. This is good news. Except everybody here who does design, right, Lisa? Lisa? That just, it's, I just purposely used a font for, for my design people's sake, for those who hate papyrus, but just, just to have fun. Okay, here's, here's, here's the point of this. Um, because I grew, I grew up thinking that religion and Christianity was bad news. It was all about rules and regulations and doing a lot of stupid stuff at church because that's what my, in my opinion, that's what my friends did. Your Wednesday nights, you go to this thing, study thing to become this thing at 13 and whatever, and there were all these acronyms they used, and you'd have to go to this, do this Friday thing with a certain guy so that you could send the rest of the week and be okay, and then you'd go do the Friday, th- whatever. You'd go to church, you'd give to the poor, I mean, whatever it was, in my mind, that whole system was bad news, and it was based on a lot of just, like, myth and all of that kind of stuff. And I want to tell you, I know a lot of people who, who are not in this room, who are out in our culture, a lot of those nuns and a lot of the duns, the people who've left some church somewhere and gave that up because it was a lot of religion, to a lot of people, this story, to a lot of people, Christianity is bad news. Do you know that? It's bad news. And I just want to tell you what I found in this story when I, when I re- got to know God's story and I got to know this, I was so shocked that this is not bad news, but it is actually really, really amazingly good news. It's amazingly good news. And we need to learn, we need to live into that good news. We need to be continually compelled and shocked by this good news. Paul says the love of Christ compelled me. We need to continue to be drawn to the good news of this. We need to let that fire us up so that we're living the good news out among people because we need to be people of good news, right? We need to be good news type people. And we need to share this good news with people because people out there, trust me, because I know, people desperately don't know, but they need to know that this story is good news, that the story of Christmas, that God is for you, is good news. And the one we'll share in a minute, that it's good news. So can we be a community of good news people? Can we be that kind of people? Can we at 12 be known as good news people? Because what we're talking about is that Jesus came, God, to my rescue. No better news than that. So God is so for us. He is so for us. He is so on our side. 
that he was willing to come to earth to die for us in our place so that we do not have to. Is that not good news? Is that not the best news you've ever heard? My guess is most of you here have seen the Chronicles of Narnia. Is that right? I know Sammy has. How many? Yeah, so I've got some. How many of you? I mean, I'm sure. If you've seen Chronicles of Narnia, raise your hand. Probably most everybody. I, I should have. Yeah, Evan. Evan's all excited. If you haven't, I really encourage you. This is a great Christmas movie, Christmas time movie. But I love the Chronicles of Narnia and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe because to me it so well embodies this story. So for those of you who saw it, what was Edmund's crime? Do you remember? What was his crime? What? Yeah, betrayal, treason specifically. They talk a lot about it in that movie, treason. And he was, he was a traitor, and he was the worst kind, the white witch tells us, the worst kind of traitor, because he betrayed his family. He betrayed his family. And what was his punishment? What was the punishment in Narnia for treason? Do you remember? What was required? Death. His blood was required, she said. It was written in the laws of Narnia. However, instead of Edmund dying and paying the price of his treason, and if you haven't seen the movie, I'm sorry, <laughs> but Aslan, someone who had committed no treachery and no crime, gave his life in place of Edmund's life, setting Edmund free from the price of his treason. Just as Aslan gave his life in place of Edmund, so too Jesus died in my place, taking upon himself the punishment for my sin so I can receive his full forgiveness. And I said this last Easter, but I'm going to say it again, that all of our favorite stories are stories of love giving itself in sacrifice. The best move, the movies you most love, the stories you most love are stories of love giving itself in sacrifice. There's something in the human soul that we love, we yearn for those kinds of stories. They're the things that touch us most deeply. I just was reading again this week that J.R.L. Tolkien, he talked about that the reason is, is he thinks God wrote his story on every heart. And the story of Jesus is the one true story that fulfills our longing that's expressed in all those stories. That's why this is such good news. That's why when you share with people, even if they aren't totally sure this is true, when you share people this, with this story in a good way to where it's good news, people generally, I have found, will say, I'm not totally sure if that's true, but if it were, I wish it were true. I wish that were true. God did not reject us. Rather, he went on a search and rescue mission through Jesus, whose name means God to the rescue. We're rescued from our sin, brought back into relationship with God through Jesus' death and resurrection from the dead. Matthew 1.23 says, God gave him the name Emmanuel, which means, what's it mean? God with us. That's the next three words of Christmas. God is for us so much that he came to be with us and to die for us. So God is with us. And that's what Christmas is all about.
We're going to worship in a minute. And there's a song that I really love. Sorry, it's hard for me not to talk about this and go back many years ago. Do you remember what it was like to carry the weight of sin? Even when I didn't totally understand what that meant, to have this sense that I was carrying the weight of my sin, that I had this longing for something, I didn't know what it was. This is what we're going to sing. I'm forgiven. Because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. Jesus, because you were condemned. I'm alive and well and your spirit is within me because you died and you rose again. That is such amazing love. How could it be that you, my king, would die for me? Because of that, it is my joy to honor you in all that I do. How can it be? Isn't that an amazing song? To an amazing story. So could you stand with me? And we want to close and we want to close in worship. Does that not capture your heart? This story. That he'd leave the 99 just for me. Again, Paul says, it is the love of Jesus that compels me. So can we be a community of people who are compelled in everything we do by this story, by the love of Jesus and his coming and giving all for us? How can it be that my king would die for me? Is that not good news? So let us go out and be good news people in the way we live, and let us be people who are longing and looking for opportunities to share the good news with a world that so desperately needs to hear it. And may we, this Christmas season, be about this story. More about that than about all the other stuff our culture wants to put on us. So let's be an Advent people. Can we do that? All right. In light of that and this story, you're sent.